relationships. And so I thought, well, you know what? Let me pray about it. And I, come across this, I came across a statistic that actually said, um, I think the vast majority of people who are in church, and I'm talking about in the 70 to 80% range, one of the top two things they want to know about, in fact, I'm sorry, one of the top five, I think it was like number two on a list of 10. They want to know about relationships. And so I thought, well, that's really interesting, but I don't want to just bring messages based on what statistics show and all that good stuff. So I prayed about it. I had some time off, about a month off. Uh, so anyways, in my time off, the Lord really was able to minister to me. And out of that, I felt impressed from the Lord move in that direction. So I'm going to share some things with you uh, that are somewhat new to me and some things are not so quote unquote new, but I hope that it helps you. I will say first and foremost, I am in no way, shape or form in my own mind qualified to talk about relationships. I'm only married four years and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm still very new to this and still figuring this out every single day. Um, but I'll never forget, I heard a great man of God say one time, he said that, the, that Peter, the apostle Peter said in his book, husbands live with wives according to knowledge. And he said, if he had to say that, that means it is more natural for us not to live with wives according to knowledge. It is easier for us to just live. And uh, I, <laughs> the same great man of God went on to say this, if you're smart, your relationship can either be heaven on earth or you can have hell on earth. And now I'll say this, when it comes to our church, there are some married, some that are not. Let me say this, on whichever side of the aisle that you fall on, at the end of the day, relationships, yes, we're gonna talk about marriage, family, all that good stuff, but today we're not gonna go into that. We're also gonna talk about the other side of it when it comes to relationships, business, when it comes to relationships with your boss, with your friends and your life, we're gonna talk about relationships. So I'm excited. Are you ready? Sweet. All right, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter, I wanna say 10. I was right, Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at this verse real quick. Matthew chapter 10, and we're gonna come down to verse 31, but I love to have the context so you can see what's happening. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, who is that? Who is the one able to destroy both your body and soul in hell? Well, no, who gives, who, who's the one able to send you to hell? The Lord, God. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of Satan. If you're going to be afraid of anyone, be afraid of God, because at the end of the day, Satan cannot send you to hell. God can. Are you with me? So Jesus gives us a real clear picture. Don't be afraid of anything on this plane. Don't be afraid of anything or anyone. If you're going to be afraid of anyone, be afraid of God. Then he says in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, before you read that next verse, you probably already read it. Before you read that next verse, I just want you to see the picture that Jesus just painted for everyone that he's talking to. Hey, if you're going to be afraid of anyone, don't be afraid of the, the leaders. Don't be afraid of the kings. Don't be afraid of the guards. Don't be afraid of anybody. Don't be afraid of anybody. If you're going to be afraid of anybody, be afraid of God. Because you know what, at the end of the day, yes, they can hurt your body, but God has the ability to not just take care of the body, he can also take care of the soul. So if you're gonna be afraid of anyone, let's actually be afraid of him. And then, as soon as he makes that statement, with the very next breath, he says, let me tell you about sparrows. Now, why in the world is he talking about sparrows? He says, two sparrows are sold for one copper coin. Now, I believe in Luke's translation, I didn't put Luke up here for the sake of too many verses, but if I'm not mistaken, in Luke's translation, he says this, you can buy two sparrows for one copper coin, right? Then he says, and if you want two more sparrows, all right, you want to buy two more, they'll throw in a third sparrow. So you can get 
two sparrows for one coin, or you can get five sparrows for two coins. All right. Hope I'm not confusing anybody. Math was never my strong suit. But suffice to say this, sparrows are so cheap, we'll throw in a free one if you just buy two more. And as cheap as they are, what does Jesus say? Yet I'm telling you, even though they don't have very much value at all, not one sparrow falls to the ground or dies without God knowing it. God cares even about the sparrows. They don't have a lot of value, but God cares about them. Then he says in verse 30, but I'm telling you, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, what in the world does this have to do with being afraid, with, being afraid of God? Verse 31, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, what's the point? I love this. If you're going to be afraid, if anyone be afraid of God, and then he ends it by saying this, but don't be afraid of God because you have value. Now, I've, I've known this for a while. In fact, I've, I've shared it before, I think, in a service here or there. But when I was preparing for relationships and I was going, okay, Lord, I need you to lead me in this study. What do I touch on first? I felt impressed from the Lord. Before you start talking about relationships, before you start talking about the dynamic between man and woman and all that good stuff, businessmen and all that, before you start talking about all of that, lay the good foundation. And the foundation that we're going to lay is value. All right. Can you say value? Value. Know how valuable you are. And I'm going to show you uh, from the Old Testament in just a moment. But I want to show you something really cool here. Notice what Jesus starts off by talking about is fear. He does not say, don't be afraid and stops there. He says, don't be afraid. And how does he counteract fear? By showing you how valuable you are. Now think about it. At your job, if you are valuable, you don't really have to be afraid when they start laying people off. The more valuable you are, the more confident you are at your job. When they're laying people off, you're not worried because you have value. Right now, I think the same must be true in the church. The more you know how valuable you are, the less fearful you will be. Now, I think that's a tremendous truth. In fact, let me take it one step further. Can we do that? I didn't want to have too many verses in Proverbs. I want to say 23 or 22 verse six. I think it's 23 six in Proverbs. Solomon says this, a curse without cause is like a fleeting sparrow or like a flittering swallow. I think that's the word he uses in the old King James. Now for years I wondered what in the world does that even mean? And then one day a great man of God was preaching a sermon and he said this, notice that the curse, a curse is very much similar like a sparrow. Then Jesus talks about the fear of God and he brings up two sparrows. How do we make sure that the curse the enemy is trying to put on us? We cannot be cursed. All right. You cannot be cursed. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. No matter what you do, you cannot be cursed. You are not cursed. But Satan wants you to feel like you were cursed. So he tries to make you believe that you are under the curse. But you are not under the curse. You are under the blood of Jesus that has set you free from every curse. Now, knowing that truth, the devil still convinces many believers you're under a curse. How do we stop the symptoms of the curse? Jesus gives us a secret right here. You are of more value. I believe when we are more established or reestablished in some cases, reestablished in the truth that we are valuable to God, I believe the symptoms of the curse begin to stop in the lives of every believer. But I think the problem is still here, not for us. I think the problem still exists in the church at large. Because people don't know that they are valuable, they find themselves in situations they should never be in. Because you don't believe you're valuable, you go out and just do things. In fact, let's keep going. Look at this in Leviticus chapter 27, if you will. Leviticus chapter 27. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing in Leviticus, but let me say this. Before we go into uh, Leviticus 27, the real 
depth of Leviticus, I want to show you a picture of Jesus first. Is that okay? All right. You can always give someone a list of do's and don'ts, but when you see Jesus, you don't need any more list. He takes care of the rest. So let's look at the glory of the Lord. Watch this in Leviticus chapter 27. And let me tell you this too, because I think in this church we can do this, all right? In Leviticus chapter 1, it opens up with the burnt offering. And in Leviticus chapter 1, he talks about how economically the wealthy people bring a bull. Then he shows the next, the middle class on an economic plane. They bring a lamb. Then he talks about the lower class, the, the poor. They bring birds. All right. Now, we did a Bible study a while back, and I believe this. The value you set on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I believe, directly corresponds with your wealth. People who see the blood of Jesus as great, I believe that God will make them wealthy. But people who see the blood of Jesus only doing a little bit, I believe they struggle. Now, let me show you. That's how Leviticus chapter 1 opens up. The book of Leviticus. Leviticus 27 is the last chapter in that book. Now, watch this. Verse two says, God is speaking. He says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man consecrates by a vow, certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Say 50. Now watch this. If it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. Say 30. Now, 50 and 30 are significantly different. They are separated by how much? You mathematicians. <laughs> 50 for a man, 30 for a woman, right? Now, while I was meditating on this, and I shared this with my mom and my wife, while I was meditating on this, and I was just kind of going, okay, why 50, why 30? God never puts something in his Bible just to put it. Everything is there for a reason, right? And the apostle Paul said, if you read it, for what it is, there is a veil that covers your eyes. But when you go to the Lord, the veil will always be removed. So we don't want to just read this and say 50, 30. That's great for the Old Testament. Let's remove the veil, shall we? So I was meditating on this and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminded me Jesus was also betrayed. But how much was Jesus betrayed for? Ah, 30. Watch this. Matthew 26. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him? Talking about Jesus to you. And they counted out to him how much? 30 pieces of silver. Now, when I read this, I thought, whoa, wait a second. The value of a man is what? 50. The value of a woman is 30. And I said, on one, on, on, from one perspective, it's almost like they didn't think Jesus was worth the price of a man. It was almost like, let's get that shot in there before Jesus can even come. Let's, let's buy him for 30 pieces of silver. Let's, he's, he's not worth a man. He's worth a woman. Now, as a man, that, that speaks volumes. I won't go there. <laughs> you get my point. For a moment, you go, wait a second. Why would they do that? So while I was writing this down, I'm just going, wow. I feel like they really tried to disrespect Jesus for a moment there. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me, wait a second. Jesus did not die for his own sins. In fact, I had just written a blog about sins and being dead to sin. And the Lord just reminded me, he said, son, Jesus did not die for his own sin. Jesus was not betrayed for himself. He was betrayed for us. Why was he betrayed? So that he could stand in our place. At the cross, Jesus did not die for us. He died as us. And if he died as us, he could not have been betrayed for 50 pieces of silver. 
Now, I don't believe that they knew what they were doing in that moment when they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. But I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, was very careful to make sure it was only 30 pieces of silver because the church, all of us, we are the bride of Christ. And the valuation on the church, according to God's standard, was how much? 30 pieces of silver. So when Jesus was betrayed, the valuation on him was not his, it was our value. And before Jesus even came into their hands, before they could even hit him for the first time, God had already set the value on his son at our value. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus takes our value so that we can take his value before God. How valuable are you before God? You are as valuable as his son because Jesus has taken our value, which was lesser, and he has given us his value, which was greater. You are valuable. <laughs> you are valuable. And everyone said, can you say this? Say, I am valuable. God values me. Say, God is invested in me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're valuable. Now let's take it one step further. We're still in Leviticus 27. I just wanted to show you that in Matthew because I thought that was awesome. You are valuable. Leviticus 27 says, now if the man who is paying the value, let's say a man has consecrated himself to God, he must bring 50 pieces of silver. If it's a woman, she brings 30. But let's say that the man comes to God and all of a sudden he realizes, I don't have enough. This man is poor. Now watch this, verse eight. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, notice poverty is connected to value. Do you see that? Poor valuation. I'll put them in gold so that you see this. Poverty is directly connected to valuation. People who do not see themselves as valuable before, valuable before God are poor. Now, I'm not saying necessarily poor in an economic stance. I believe that is in there as well. But people who see that they are not valued before God when it comes to spiritual gifts and operating, they are poor, spiritually speaking. Now, watch this. But if he's too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest and the priest shall set a value for him. According to the ability of him who vowed, the priest shall value him. Now, this word priest is not the high priest, all right? I won't give you the Hebrew because I don't want to mess it up, chop it up. But it's not the Hebrew word for the high priest. It's actually the word for a priest that works in the temple. Now, this is beautiful. You know why? Because the Bible says in Revelation, by the blood of Christ, he has made all of us kings and priests. Priest. So now watch this. This is what happens. You go out in the world, you live life, you make mistakes, and the enemy tells you, how can you? How can you? And you go, okay, you, you, you may not address it, but in the back of your mind, that thought passes your mind. How can you? You look at your life and you say, I'm not where I wanted to be. God is using everyone else except for me. And the enemy comes in and says, you're absolutely right. He's using everyone else but you. He's not using you as much as he's using that person because that person is more valuable. Are you with me? Now, he may not use these words specifically, but nevertheless, the thought crosses through your mind. It's crossed through my mind quite a few times. I'll just be transparent and honest. It's crossed through my mind and quite a few people that I know directly. All right. And what happens is this. You believe the lie, but then you come to the house of God. Now, let me say this. I won't speak for other churches in this church. You, you, you come to the house of God and what happens? The priest, whoever's in this position, the priest says, let me show you your value. Let me show you your worth. You felt too poor before. And so when God wanted to use you, you said, I can't because I don't have that. I can't pray for this person because chances are they may not get healed. I can't go out here and give this because what, 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 what will I do? And we see our value diminished. Is everyone still with me? But then you come to the house of God and you hear, no, 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 no. You are valuable. You are loved by God. 
God has traded heaven and earth to have you. And he would do it all over again if it was just for you. He loves you. You are valuable. And when you hear that, what happens is the priest is now setting his value back on you. You are valuable. Now, we're not going to get into marriage life and all that, but let me say this. If we are not careful, we allow other people to put a value on us that is not the value God set on us. All right. Now, we have to say this, because, and I say this because I'm, I'm in this position. I can say, I say this. I'm married four years. Right? <laughs> I'm not there yet. My wife would probably say amen if she was in here. I'm not there yet. But we have to learn. We cannot let other people set a value on us that God did not first set on us. I am valuable. I am valuable. And my wife, I love her. She values me and she reminds me how valuable I am. The problem many times in our relationship is I don't value her. And many times I, my value of her diminishes and goes down over time. And the Lord reminds me, no, she is still the gift. She's still the gift I gave you. In fact, when we start talking about relationships, there's a verse in the old that God says, I have given you the power to get wealth. All right. God says in the law, I have given you the power to get wealth. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But the word power right there has the root word for wife in it. And all the men said, <laughs> I've given you the power to get wealth. And the root word is actually wife. And you realize that if we can keep that value that God has put on her, the value God has put on us, if we can continue to see each other valuable, the power to get wealth can work. But when we stop seeing each other valuable, all of a sudden we lose the ability to get wealth. But praise God, you're here this morning, right? Say, I am valuable. <laughs> you are valuable. Don't ever let someone else put their value on you. You are valuable. I was a youth leader for about four and a half years. The number one thing, and I actually wrote a, I wrote a blog about this too. I was talking with my wife and I said, after four and a half years of doing uh, youth ministry, I stepped away from it and I still believe this to this day. It's been about four or five years since then, but I still believe it to this day. The number one thing that I saw with teenagers was not so much that, oh, they don't want to listen, they're disobedient. They're just running around doing all this crazy stuff. They listen to all this crazy music. Let me say this. I can't speak for everyone, but I can't speak for what I saw. The number one thing that I saw, the biggest problem, was that most of them did not value themselves. And most of them did not know that they were valued. Now you can say, well, they didn't get it at home, maybe. But as, far, as long as they were in my care at church, my job, even though I didn't use the V word, value, my job was always to remind them that you are valuable. And when you understand that you're valuable, especially like for the, for, for the men first, let's say men, when the boys go out and they want to date a girl, they see themselves valuable. They see the girl valuable and they stop treating them like all their friends are treating them. And it becomes the same with some of the girls, the girls, they start seeing themselves valuable. And you know what? When a young man says, Hey, come do this. They say, no, thank you. Because they see their value. They see their worth. And at the end of the day, it wasn't, they're just bad. They don't listen. They're teenagers. No, they just didn't know how valuable they were. But when they find out I am valuable and not just to God, I am valuable. Forget family, forget friends. God values me. All of a sudden decisions are made. Choices that, that could have been led to death now lead to life. They saw themselves valuable. And I want you to see yourself valuable. Can you say it again? Say, I am valuable. I am say, I am valuable to God. You are valuable. Now, now can I tell you a story real quick? I was going to save it to the end. We have more verses. Don't worry. This is not the end. You got excited. I know. <laughs> I'll tell you a story real quick. It's a true story. I heard a great man of God tell this. It was a lady in his church that happened. So I can tell you this from a secondhand account. But there's a story and you might have heard it before, but there was a woman who had an antique shop. All right. 
she had an antique shop and she had this, she had a whole bunch of uh, antique pieces of furniture. And so she decided I'm gonna start, a, I'm gonna open a store. So she opened a store and on the day she opened it, grand opening, she had everything laid out and early in the morning people drove by and they started walking through some of the stuff and people were buying things. But early in the morning, this one guy in particular, business suit, he walks through, he looks at all the furniture and he kind of snubs his nose up at some of it. And he comes to this table and he says, how much is the table? She said, well, sir, the price is on it. And he said, I think that's too much. If you lower the price, I'll buy it. And she said, well, you know, I, I'm not really sure I can lower the price. You know, I have a certain quota I'm trying to make for the day. If I can sell this much, if I can make this much. And the man said, well, you know, it's fine. I don't want it. So he left. About lunchtime, the man comes back. Same man. He walks through all the furniture. He sees the table and he goes back to the table and he says, ma'am, I see you haven't really lowered the price any. If you lower the price, I'll buy, the, I'll buy this table. And she said, sir, I, you know, I, I just, I'm sorry. I still, I haven't made enough. I can't lower the price yet. Okay, I can't lower it yet. So the man said, fine, you're not gonna sell this table to anybody. I can tell you right now, no one wants this, this piece of junk. But you know what? That's fine, I don't want it either. He leaves. Before she's closing, within an hour of closing time, the table is still there. The man shows up after work, he walks through, sees the piece of furniture still there, and he walks up to the woman and says, I see you haven't sold the table. So I'm gonna drop my offer by a couple hundred dollars. I will buy the table from you to get it off your hands. The woman almost said yes, but she looked at the table, and as she was getting ready to move the table for the man, all of a sudden her memories of the table flashed back. She remembered how the table came into her possession. And this is a true story. She remembered how when she was a little girl, she ran around the table, how her grandmother had done this. She started seeing scratches and dents and how all that stuff got there. And all of a sudden her heart was so full of all the memories, her value of the table shot through the roof. And she said, I'm sorry, sir. If I sold the table for you, for what you're asking for, I would be doing myself a disservice. If I sold the table for what I was originally asking for, I would still be robbing myself. Now I'm gonna raise the price. I think it was like a couple hundred dollars more. And the man said, are you crazy? Are you, you still haven't sold the table? She said, you're right. But now the value, the table is more valuable to me. So I'm not gonna sell it for that much. The man got mad. He walked out the door and came right back in and said, fine, I'll buy the table for that. <laughs> she got more for the table than what she was originally asking for. Now the point of the story, and it's a true story. The point of the story, the reason why I wanted to share it is because when you know that you are valuable, you will stop selling yourself short in every area of life. Now, when it comes to relationships, we always use it for women with men. You value yourself, but it, look, it's, it's across the board. When you know that you are valuable, you will stop selling yourself short. And the church has done a horrible job of this. We ask people to come in, but we don't wanna give them what they're worth. We don't wanna value them. And so we come in and we let people work, we, 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 and we never set that value on them. And all the while, internally, there's a cry, do you think I'm valuable? And so we stay in places that we shouldn't necessarily be because we're trying to get that value that most people won't set. But receive the truth, you are valuable. You are valuable. In fact, when I was looking over the word valuable, the Lord said this, see my value on you as my investment in you. I'm invested in you. And I believe the word of the Lord for everyone in here, not just for older, not just for young, the word of the Lord for everyone in here, everyone in our church, even those who are not here is this, if you were not valuable to me, I would not still be investing into you. But I am investing into you because I still see you valuable. Can we keep going? Let me show you this in Romans chapter eight real quick. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 says, so what does all this mean? And this is in the, in the Passion Translation. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. 
And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. I love this. When we talk about the love of God, I always go to this verse. This is my go-to verse about the love of God. Why is it? You know why? Because if God, let me say this, if God withholds healing from you, then what God is saying is, hey, look, I gave you Jesus freely. But if healing comes out of price, then what he's saying is this, healing is more valuable to me than my son. And we all know that's not true. Jesus is more valuable than all creation, the entire universe. By him and for him, all things were created. In Colossians, the Bible says he holds all things together. I'm telling you, Jesus is the most valuable person in the entire universe. And God gave him to us freely. If God withholds anything else and says there's a price on it, God is saying that thing is more valuable than his son and nothing could be further from the truth. If God has given you his son, he will not withhold anything else from you. Now let's take it one step further. How do you determine the price of something? Let's say this Bible right here. It's worn down a little bit, but it's been in my care for over 10 years. So this is valuable. And everyone said, it's got my highlights and my underlines. Anyways, so let's say this book right here is worth $20 in the store, right? Again, this is just one of those common sense things. $20 in the store. If you pay $20, the value of the book is what? $20, mathematicians. If God paid Jesus, what is he saying your value is? The value of his son. The same way God protected Jesus, the same way God watched over him, the same way God was careful to make sure that Jesus had everything he needed. It's the same for you. You are as valuable to God as his only son. Today, we are not the only son. We are, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He was the only son, but now after the cross, we are all sons and daughters in him, right? We are all sons and daughters of God, but God doesn't want you to see him as, hey, I love all of you. God wants you to see it as I love you, as if you are my only child. And when you believe that God loves you as if you are his only child, you will start experiencing the type of favor that Jesus experiences. Because at the time, Jesus was the only one. Are you still with me? Let's keep going. Exodus chapter 20. Now I'm gonna bring this. <laughs> um, I have more to share, but I won't do it. Look at this in Exodus chapter 21 real quick. Exodus chapter 21. Now we're gonna pick up at verse two. When you look at the story in Exodus, God has just given the 10 commandments. God has just given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And if you remember the story, God was angry, right? God was livid. In fact, why did I not put this in here? Turn to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to show you something real quick in Matthew chapter 10. There we go. You can turn to Exodus chapter 21. Before I show you this, I didn't want to forget this because I feel like this was just a pivotal moment for me. I was meditating on value and the Lord is just ministering to me, Matthew, you are valuable. You are valuable. And I want you to remind them that they are valuable. You are valuable to God. And while I was studying all this, I came across a word in the Passion Translation that I showed you and just, I actually just showed you. Notice by giving us his greatest treasure. Can you say treasure? Say treasure one more time, say treasure. All right, he's given us his greatest treasure. Now that word treasure in the Passion stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And I thought treasure, interesting wording there in the Passion. And all of a sudden I remember, uh, is, is a man of God who's sitting back here with the hat on, Mr. Burt. One of his favorite verses comes from Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. 
So I went back to that and I read that chapter and Jesus says, yes, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in the field. For years, we were always taught that Jesus is a treasure and he's hidden. And if you want him, you have to go sell everything you have so that you can have Jesus. You have to forsake all so that you can have him. And for years, we all felt condemned when we did things we liked because we hadn't given up everything. We hadn't put our Isaac on the altar because we wanted Jesus. And then one day, a great man of God stood up and said, I think we're misinterpreting this. I think Jesus wasn't talking about himself. I think he was talking about you. You are the treasure that was hidden in the field. And when Jesus found you, he went and sold everything he had so that he could have you. You were the pearl of great price that when he went to the market, he saw it and he said, how has no one else bought this yet? I'm going to go sell everything I have so that I can have you. And when we saw that, all of a sudden we begin to realize, hey, he sees me as a treasure. I am valuable. Now, while I was just meditating and again, letting the Lord minister to me, and I know I'm probably quoting a lot. I apologize. You can go home and look it up for yourself. Did you know on the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it's in Matthew chapter six, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something interesting. He said this. He said, oh man, how did I not put this up there? Where is it? Are you in Exodus chapter 21? Where is it? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now we all know that verse, right? We've all heard it hundreds of times. But verse 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus gave us an amazing secret. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. You can say, well, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you never invest in that person, your heart is not with that person. Now, years ago, I was at a place where I was not very happy. I was against a lot of the leadership, a lot of the things that were going on. And the Lord impressed on me, son, give. Give more. At the time I was giving, but give more. And as I started giving, before I left, I can honestly say that my heart felt confident, felt good. Because I wasn't angry anymore. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Again, you cannot say, I love you. God could not say, I love you from a distance, but never give. If you never give, your heart is not actually there. Treasure does not follow your heart. Your heart always follows your treasure. When the father of the prodigal son saw his son coming over the hill, what did he do? He ran. The law said back then that men should not run. But in order for him to run, he had to pull up his garment. <laughs> exposed his undergarments and he had to run to his son. That's how he had to do it. In a sense, he broke a law to get to his son. But where his treasure was, his heart was. His son was his treasure, so he ran to him. I heard a great man of God say this once, your feet follow your heart, but your heart follows your treasure. God has put his treasure in all of us. It's no wonder when you cry out to him, he runs to you. Are you with me? Now, by putting his treasure in all of us, again, what is he saying? I'm invested in you. I am invested in you. And I'm not going to invest in you and walk away and say it won't produce. No, no, no. God is careful to watch over his investment. I'm not a good businessman, but he is. <laughs> and he doesn't invest in people that he thinks will not produce. God is invested in you because he knows. He knows you will produce. And he is still investing in you. Now, let me close with this in Exodus chapter 21. God has just given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, God's given the Ten Commandments and God is angry. God said, no one come near the mountain. I won't go back into that. We talk about that a lot. But as soon as God finishes the Ten Commandments with his next breath in Exodus chapter 21, the 
God might be angry for a moment, but his love and mercy endures forever. As soon as God finishes being angry, Exodus chapter 21, verse 2 says this. God says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant says, the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Let me close with this. Actually, a couple, about two or three months ago, I saw this and I was going to share it on a Sunday. And I went and did some research. Why pierce through with an awl? When you hear the word pierce in the Old Testament, who does it remind you of? Jesus. Where was he pierced? His hands and his feet, right? But let's pull back the veil on Exodus 20. I did some research and found out back then, if a man had his ears pierced, it meant that he was a slave forever. All right. The only way your ears would be pierced is this way. I know we pierce our ears, but I'm just showing you the history of how it happened. The only way your ears were pierced was if you had served your time. And at the end of six years, you're able to go free. But God told them, look, if a slave says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I don't want to go free because I don't want to leave them behind. Then he pierces his ears and everyone who sees him knows that man is a servant because his ears are pierced. Are you with me? But then... <laughs> Then all of a sudden we see God is not talking about us. God was talking about someone else. Who was he talking about? His son. Watch this. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, no man in his right mind would dare say, I love someone before I love my wife. <laughs> Only Jesus would say out loud, I love God, the master. I love my wife, the church, and I love all our children. If this is talking about Jesus, then what is God trying to show us? Verse six, then his master shall bring him to the judges. All the chief priests came out to where Jesus was at the cross. Watch this. He shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the door post. Where was Jesus crucified? At a cross outside the city, outside the gates of the city. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, showing that he's a servant forever. Jesus Today, at the Father's right hand, the only man-made thing there at the Father's right hand are the piercings in his hands. The piercings in his hands. In fact, the Bible says, in that day when we see him come back, they will say, where did you get those wounds on your back? And he will say, in the house of my friends. Why am I saying all of this? Jesus had an opportunity to go to heaven and the garden. He had an opportunity. He did not have to suffer for all of us. He didn't have to do it. In the garden, he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. In the garden, he could have said, I love you, but I don't want to go through this. But he didn't. In the garden, he said, I love you. I love you. And I love all that will come from our relationship. If it means being a servant forever, then I will serve forever. And he went to the cross for all of us. And there, not in his ear, but with his hands and his feet. He was pierced for all of us. And when we see him in heaven, exalted in all his glory, John fell on his face because John said, oh my God, this is him in all his glory. And Jesus came and said, John, it's me. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, I am God, but I'm here to serve you. Let me say this. I don't serve people who I don't see have value. When we go to work and we have a boss, that boss has value, <laughs> right? 
That's why we work. Jesus is serving all of us. Why? Because you have value. And the fact that he, the greatest of all, has decided he will serve you says something about the value that he puts on you. Of everyone he could serve, he has chosen to serve you. Don't slip through the cracks. Don't think that God has forgotten about you. Don't look at other people and say, God, how did they, but why am I? Don't look at other people and think there's more value there than there is here. I'm telling you, God Almighty has put on flesh and has decided to serve you because he sees that you are valuable. And don't let anyone else put their value on you. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you this morning, Lord, that you have seen everyone in here valuable. Father, we thank you that you have seen everyone in here valuable. If you would just take a moment real quick and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have valued me. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the value, again, that you've placed on everyone that's here this morning. Even those who aren't here right now, Father, we thank you for the value that you have set on us. And Father, I just ask even right now that every time that someone has spoken over anyone in here and made us feel less than, made us feel unworthy in any way, shape, or form, Father, I thank you right now. We reject it in Jesus' name. And Father, we, in the name of Jesus, we break whatever spirit that has tried to make anyone in here feel less valuable than you have declared us. So right now, Father, I ask that everyone in here be refreshed and be renewed knowing that you not only love us, but you have set your value on us. And Father, every area where we have uh, uh, negotiated with someone, every area where we've given up something because we didn't see value, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would restore it 120% over, 120% times over. And Father, I thank you. I thank you that as we see ourselves valuable to you, I thank you even now that the symptoms of the curse is fading in everyone's life. In Jesus' name, Father. We thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just hear the Lord saying this, and again, uh, just every head bowed, every eye closed. I just hear the Lord saying this, that there's a dream and a vision that he's given everyone in here. You have had a dream, you've had a vision of where God is taking you, and the Lord said, to some of you, it seems like the vision has been put on the shelf that it might be over and the Lord said, it's not because I'm still investing in you even now, even now. In the name of Jesus, may your best days be ahead of you. May your best days be ahead of you. And Father, I thank you right now that by your grace, by your grace, you're causing everyone to walk into the fullness, into the fullness of what you have called us into fullness of it.